countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey! It is now time for the last comic shop! Yes, that's right. We are opening the shop up to newbies and helping them find their way into this big, great world of comic books. And this week in particular, we're keeping the lights on for the kiddos, as we're going to be doing one of our Panel Pals episodes. Yay! That's right, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith, and you're right! We're going to be doing a Panel Pals Read Pile review later in today's program. For those folks that may not have listened to the previous shows like this, it's really where we get an opportunity to bring the youngsters onto the show and talk about a comic book that they might be interested in reading. You know, again, getting those kids interested in comic books like we were when we were that age. But uh, before we get to that book, which will be this week a classic Tintin adventure called Cigars of the Pharaoh. We're actually going to start off the program with some talk about movies. That's right. Yeah, there was a Tintin movie, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Marvel movies. In particular, Marvel movies that have already happened. Why, you ask? Well, because, again, there are going to be some new ones coming up, whether that be the Doctor Strange movie coming out in a couple weeks or the Thor movie, another Black Panther movie coming on later on this year. When's Uh, that Morbius movie coming out? It already happened. We're not talking about it. (laughs) We're not talking about it. Stop bringing up the Morbius. We're not talking about it. We are going to talk about the ones that are available on Disney Plus because again it's, it's a popular platform and you can still watch these if you happen to have a subscription to that Heck yeah. The other thing too is with all these movies coming out, I mean you're getting your Doctor Strange, you're getting your Thors, you're getting your Black Panthers cycling in. It feels like a return to the MCU that we had known it, you know, in the decade prior in the build up to Avengers Endgame. Whereas for the last year or two, it seems like we've taken some detours. <laughs> New characters, yeah. Yeah, the fact that it's it's Shang-Chi. It's the Eternals. It's a giant celestial destroying the Earth, but nobody from the Avengers coming to help out. <laughs> that is weird, and we will get to that. Plus the fact that, you know, I still go into comic book shops all the time, and they say, hey, Andy, how's the last comic shop going? And I'm like, oh, yeah, what are you talking about on the show? And I'm like, oh, I'm talking about this book. Hey, how was Shang-Chi? So it seems like people just want, you know, us to plant our flag about these comic book-related movies. And since we've done shows in the past on some of them like you can go back and you can listen to our black widow review you can go back and listen to our suicide squad review you can even go back and hear chad and i talk about spider-man uh no way home so this is an opportunity for us to plant that flag to get people saying hey yeah the last comic shop talked about what they thought of these movies before it was too late and so we're, we're going to start off today's program by talking about these movies and of course we're going to start by talking about shang chi which was uh, chronologically the first one that we didn't talk about. And uh, real quickly, J.A., would you give us the 10 cent synopsis of what happens in Shang-Chi? Uh, Shang-Chi's dad 
has ten rings of power and is trying to open up a portal because some evil thing has corrupted his mind. And then Shang-Chi, who's living in exile in California with his best friend, then they're totally platonic, get caught up in it. And they go back and try to defeat the dad in this magical place where there are chickens with no heads and are furry. <laughs> and in the end, there's a big throwdown fight between Shang-Chi using the Ten Rings of Power with this dragon thing. And he's got a sister who ends up running the hand. There you go. I'm impressed, dude. Your <laughs> recollection is on point. Yeah. There's some nice callbacks. There's uh, Trevor, Trevor Flattery. A.K.A. the original Mandarin from Iron Man 3. And there's also Wong fighting the Abomination. Is it for shits and giggles? I don't even know anymore. Like, it, it seemed like it was a real fight at the time. And then afterwards, I don't know, it was like a wrestling match. They were all like, oh, you, you botched that move. I should have had the finisher. One, two, three. It was a clean laydown or something. I don't know. Right, but it was an indicator that the Abomination is still going to be part of the MCU, and that that Incredible Hulk movie, while we may have recast Edward Norton, still counts. I wish that was on Disney+. Plus. I like that movie, and it, it, it's kind of like a black hole, like being on that platform when I look over my MCU in chronological order. It bothers me. But one thing that didn't bother me was this movie. Well... Not, not too much. Like, not as much as The Eternals, which we'll get to in a second. You know, it's, it's one of those things we often talk about when it comes to MCU movies, which is the fact that the MCU movies are kind of great when they take aspects of other films and just be like, yeah, what if this was this kind of film except you added superheroes to it? And they, they kind of do that here with Shang-Chi. They're like, hey, what if it was a martial arts film? I don't know, the, the Shaw brothers put together. Like, I'm a huge fan of uh, Five Deadly Venoms, which is awesome. And, and How like, many Venoms? Five Deadly Venoms! So, like, Venom, Carnage, Toxin? <laughs> no. Who? No, this is the Toad style and my Lizard style. It's like a, it's actually a great movie if you've never watched it. It's But, like, that's all it is. It's like a Shaw Brothers martial arts film mixed in with, with superheroes and CGI dragons, which... I jumped off at that point. But for while it was actually the fightings, kung fu action, I was loving it. Now, to piggyback off that, I enjoyed Shang-Chi a lot more than I had anticipated, just because Shang-Chi's not a character that I've ever really felt particular affection for, you know, read his book for any long period of time. And so I really didn't know a lot going in. And I showed up, and they had that really great scene in San Francisco with the fight on the bus, where it's yeah. going down the hills where the full house house is, <laughs> you know, and the rice and trains going by. And, <laughs> but, but no, I it was a lot of fun. It was very action-packed. We didn't bring Aquafina as Shang-Chi's uh, gal pal. She did a great job of putting in those one-liners, and then you would mix in those martial arts scenes where... Uh, you know, sometimes it would you get the crouching tiger, hidden dragon. J.A., you're going to know this. What's the name of that type of kung fu with the wires? Wuxia. Wuxia. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of wire work. I think everyone talks about the scene on the bus, but to me, the real homage to Jackie Chan and Hong Kong Kung Fu was the fight in Hong Kong 
wherever they are. I think they're in Madripoor. Yeah, Madripoor. Madripoor, where, where, I mean, it's Hong Kong, right? Madripoor's Hong Kong. But they're, the fight in Madripoor where they're fighting on the on the scaffolding, the bamboo yes. scaffolding. That's a classic right. trope of uh, Hong Kong Kung Fu. And that's after the Fight Club fight parts, where it's like, how did Shang-Chi become Fight Club? But it did. And I enjoyed the movie all the way up until the last third, until they drive their cars through the Pokemon Village. <laughs> <laughs> and then he fights a dragon like up until then i'm having fun the mandarin dude trevor uh was hilarious and then he just gets a big battle with a big cgi dragon that i didn't care about i didn't mind the fight with the dragon you know there's a lot of aspects of chinese martial arts and chinese kung fu because everyone thinks about like hong kong kung fu street level kung fu movies but there are a lot of mystical martial arts movies that come out of china as well so i, I was fine with it yeah, I, th- I think the the biggest problem for me is just the fact that, like, I, again, I was having trouble. There were too many parts of this that kind of seemed like it should have been an Iron Fist movie, but it wasn't. Mm. Go to this, like, the secret place. And that's obviously Kun Lun. Uh, or, or it should be, because it's even got a dragon there. There is really a, a, an Iron Fist show out there already, so they have to call it something else or let's, let's be honest iron, iron fist brings with it so many problems of right cultural appropriation and even this they had a little bit of controversy because they had to recast shang chi's father because in the original comic book he is very much like the westernized trophy manchu evil yeah, man manchu yeah, well, and no, and how about how they crap on the Mandarin even more? They're like, why would we name our, our lead person after oranges? <laughs> like, that's just something we told the stupid Americans. Right. Like, that was great. Yeah. I, I mean, I won't lie that, you know, in, in talking about Marvel continuity and, like, the whole notion of the Ten Rings, I, I actually did like the fact that they were, like, not just weird rings on the finger. I never got that from the comic book. He had like a disintegrator ring and one that like shot frost powers and then another one that was like flames and then and they were just stupid. This one, they, they served a purpose. They kept him alive. They kept him immortal and they added to the action just by being like a way that you could launch yourself into battle. They were an offensive weapon. They were a defensive weapon. They were just like fancy mystic nunchucks and I liked it. I thought it worked better than just, I don't know, stupid bling that people would. Yeah. <laughs> also, also like to point out that they didn't have to use any sort of de-aging on Tony Leung. <laughs> he is the Asian equivalent of Paul Rudd. He never ages. It's, it's him and Ming-Na Wen. They just got good genes. Like they just, <laughs> what, she's almost like, she's in her mid fifties. She still looks just like absolutely gorgeous. And just like, she's 58. Wow. Yeah. And uh, does it work to set up the next big Marvel thing or not? Or was that just, did you feel like it was a throwaway? Because I thought this one at least set up more. I mean, the Spider-Man one didn't set up anything. I felt honestly like Shang-Chi was a strong enough movie to stand on its own. But they kept putting little reminders in like, hey, don't forget it's a Marvel movie. Look, there's Abomination. And I feel like they're trying to... uh, attach it with like bailing wire and like no it's it's connected it really is i swear but it, that's fine i would still go and watch a second shang chi you know as soon as it comes out just because i had so much fun with the first one all right so if it comes to like whether or not i'm going to go see another shang chi movie obviously i'm going to i'm part of this comic book podcast you know i i'm going to go see anything that's mcu related but 
Is it on the top of my list? Probably not. Like You didn't think the stars were charismatic enough to... No, I, I thought it worked. It's just, at the end of the day, I still don't think this movie, unlike, say, like, I don't know, Black Panther, made me care a lot about Shang-Chi. Like, he's still, to me, like, a second-tier member of this Avengers universe, maybe even, like, third-tier. Like, he's still not upper echelon. Like, again, what happened with Black Panther, where it was obviously, boom, he was up there with, with the tops. I don't think that happened here. I think this was just another movie. I can see that. Jay, what's your call? I like martial arts movies, so I'll go see another martial arts-inspired uh, Marvel flick. I'm interested to see what they do with his sister, who now runs the hand. I think it's the hand. Is it the hand? I don't know that it's the hand. Yeah. The Ten Rings. Yeah, you get some mystical stuff. Well, who knows? It'll be interesting. What we do know is that at least it feels like it exists within the actual realm of the Marvel Universe, as it has been constructed as the MCU, much more than the next movie <laughs> ever right. did. It's Earth 2. <laughs> and that's Eternals. Right. Tell us what you think about this movie. Let's start off by saying, what what is that 10 cent synopsis? Uh, how about Chad takes it? No, no. He's, not, no, no. he's not even going near. All right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. The Eternals, created by the Celestials to go to planets and safeguard them against the Deviants. Uh, and you get this crawl that looks like it's a cross between Star Wars and the Bible. And then it turns out that they live for Zephyrs. There's a lot of them. Icarus and Cersei and Gilgamesh and uh, Ajax, who's a woman in this one, but in the comic book, it's a dude. Whatever. Well, long story short, the Eternals try to hunt all the deviants down. There's some big deviant that comes and is like absorbing other deviants. And then it turns out that they were actually there to basically help blow up the planet so that Tiamat, the sleeping celestial, can be born and then create other universes. Think yeah. that's it? Well, not I, the, that. the whole, yeah, the whole thing that the Deviants were an original creation to make humans or people on planets stronger, and then they got out of control, so they had to make the Eternals to kill the Deviants to allow the people on the planet to grow, because once a population on a planet reaches a certain point, then the Celestial can take all the energy that that population has created and eat it essentially be born. I thought the the most interesting aspect of the entire movie that was not dealt with enough was how Thanos then, by snapping half of the world away, half of the population of every world away, was preventing the Celestials from being born. And I see Chad just shaking his head like, that was just too much. You know, because the Eternals eventually stopped the Celestial from being born. Like, spoiler alert, Earth saved... Yippee, and Icarus tries to stand up against his other fellow, saying, no, this is in the grand plan of Aramish, the big celestial head honcho guy. (laughs) Yeah, now I'm thinking about it, like, did Icarus survive? I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, no, he went into the sun. So, let me get my thing out of the way before I fall asleep. (laughs) We've talked about how Marvel movies, like, Ant-Man was the heist movie, Captain America was the 70s thriller espionage, blah, 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 blah. The Eternals was Marvel trying to make a DC movie like DC tries to make Marvel movies. (laughs) Like, remember how they they screwed up the first Suicide Squad movie after Guardians of the Galaxy came out 
And they're like, no, 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 you got to put a, a classic rock song in there. And sure enough, in this movie, it's two minutes in, there's a classic rock song. It, it just felt like they took someone with Zack Snyder's artistic sensibilities and like, oh, I want to put a love scene in. Oh, I want to have these long shots of establishing the field of vision and to show the spectacle. And it was very artsy. But at the same time, like after they got done doing their artsy stuff, they're like, oh, but I also have to do all this other stuff that's supposed to happen in a Marvel And instead of making it feel organic, it just felt like a bad knockoff of what it should have been. And at the end of the day, I felt like there was a lot of talent involved in this movie and all of it was wasted. There was no charisma between the, the main actors. You know, the plot was one where you're scratching your head and like, well, why did they get involved or why didn't they get involved? Too much like it was just trying too hard. Like it knew it had a tough row to hoe ahead of it because who's going to care about the Eternals? But that movie certainly didn't make me uh, do that thing. Yeah. And I, I think I said this on our actual show prior to the Eternals coming out when I basically said, I don't know if it's a good idea to take characters nobody's ever heard of and then make the movie boring. <laughs> that's really what this boiled down to. This movie was two and a half to almost three hours of nothing happening. Nothing of importance, even though everything was cosmically important. You don't care about any, like, they, they set up, like, the deviants as, like, these this big threat, right? This guy absorbing all of the, the, the deviant powers. And he doesn't even play a part in the final conclusion of the story. Are you the talking story- about the black goo monster? Yes! Because this movie had a black goo monster. Who right! He absorbs everything and then just just for a reason for Angelina Jolie to just beat up somebody. It's a side battle. The real battle at the end, the one that matters, is everybody fighting Icarus because that's actually where the stakes are. The Eternals fighting Eternals. The Deviants, they didn't even need to be a threat. The, the battle was internal among the Eternals. And so it didn't need to have an external threat like the Deviants pushing the plot along. So why even include it? It just wasted time. And they time. didn't even serve the Deviants either. It just turned them into nameless, faceless garbage monsters. Well, but J.A., you've said some nice things about this movie. <laughs> you, For those people that enjoyed it, let, let's let you have your two well, cents. I think if you suspend everything you know about the MCU and just take it as itself as a little pocket movie and assume that it, it, it was made on a different universe you can kind of enjoy certain aspects of it as chad said it's amazing it looks fantastic it's one of the most beautifully shot movies that marvel has done by far there is some nice interplay between gilgamesh and thena i i like that when thena's losing her mind because she's remembering being cloned and reborn all these times and gilgamesh is trying to take care of her i, I like that idea Cersei, I don't know. I thought that was a bit bridge too far-y, but uh, some of the whole book was bridge too far I thought that there were plot aspects that were intriguing and they didn't delve into enough, like Sprite having to be forced to be a kid for so many millennia. But my movie ticket would have been paid the second I saw the giant celestial looking down into Earth at the end of the movie. That scene was just great. Uh, yeah. 
the rest of it, yeah, it's problematic. I don't think it's the worst Marvel movie ever, but you know, it's in that tier of you've seen it once and and you're you're probably done. You're not going to go rewatch it, even if it's on Disney Plus. Right. I, I will agree that I liked Gilgamesh as a character overall. I think Gilgamesh was the closest thus far we've gotten in any Marvel movie to actually getting the thing. Uh, because he had a real Ben Grimm kind of attitude to him. Like, he was caring, he was kind, he was considerate, but he was also strong. He was a good cook, which I thought was hilarious. He makes uh, beer from his own piss every day <laughs> and quality. <laughs> but I, and, and you're right that there were some intriguing parts. I liked Druig, who could control people's minds and how he was talking about, and I, I like his resolution to conflicts. Like, I'll just control you, and then... You won't do these stupid things anymore. I, I, I just, those aspects were heady and they made me think about, you know, control versus free will and stuff like that. But it, I don't know, to Chad's point, a lot of it seemed very forced, especially Kit Harrington. Like, how do you waste Black Knight like that? Like, he just shows up for like 10 seconds and he's in the post credits. Oh, I've got this sword, but I'm just like this love struck, mooning over Cersei guy standing in the corner. Hey. Just completely wasted that snow, bro. Chad just wants this to be over. I do. No, that's the worst part was it said the Eternals will return. I was like, oh, man. (laughs) But you did get Harry Styles as Star Fox, even though that's still not appropriate at all ever for anybody. But but Harry Styles had more charm in that 30-second teaser than anybody in the movie had and it's like oh but you're the worst character (laughs) so chad says no more eternals ja would you see eternals too i don't know if i'd see an eternals i wouldn't mind seeing the eternals with like guardians of the galaxy just some crossover event stuff but uh, uh, a good movie i say let's move on you got better cosmic characters out there get a silver surfer movie out get adam warlock get anybody Yes, well, I would say that, but uh, Surfer, well, if they're bringing Fantastic Four over, they can bring Surfer. Anyways, J.A. hasn't given us his thoughts on No Way Home. If you want Chad and I's thoughts on No Way Home, go back and listen to our Spider-Men show from December. But, J.A., what did you think of this new Spider-Man movie? Well, it was the best Spider-Man movie that the MCU has put out. It was the first one where Spider-Man actually... There was something in it. I mean, uh, spoiler alert, the death of Aunt May. Finally, Spider-Man is fighting for something. He, there's emotions on, on the line. I thought the first two MCU movies are a bit too jokey. Spider-Man was, didn't ever have to deal with sort of repercussions of his actions and the weight of, you know, that's what makes Spider-Man the character so interesting is you know, with great power comes great responsibility. That idea that you've got the weight of expectations on you and, and the weight of responsibility and how do you act? How do you stand up against that? How do you try to make the world better, make yourself better? And I thought the first two movies, Spider-Man never really had to deal with responsibility. There wasn't anything. He didn't have a lot of skin in the game, I guess, is what I try. And this one he did finally. You could see it and it was really well done, really well, good emotions. The callbacks, the other Spider-Man coming through, I thought it was nice. The redemptive arc of uh, Garfield's Spider-Man was perfect. You were amazing. You are amazing. He never got a chance to make his third movie. It got canned and, and through no fault of his own. 
I mean, I think the the movies weren't so great, but definitely not because of him as an actor. He's an incredible actor, Andrew Garfield is. So I thought what he was able to bring and, and having those moments where he gets to save MJ like he couldn't save Gwen, uh, that was really nice. And then, you know, the best scene in the entire movie was uh, Charlie Cox. How did you do that? I'm a very good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, as we've commented, Chad looked over at me and said, look, they fixed Daredevil in like 10 seconds. <laughs> they fixed everything. Every issue and, I've had with a Spider-Man yeah. movie, they fixed it. And they fixed Spider-Man, MCU Spider-Man. He doesn't, now he's no longer tied to Tony Stark and has all this tech equipment and special suits and everything. Now he really is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Carrying the weight of not being able to save his loved one and wanting to make the world a better place. And knowing they're York. out there, but he can't do anything about it without putting them in more danger. And they fixed Green Goblin. And they fixed Electro. And they gave Spider-Man an origin story. And they did everything they needed to do. It was so good. Yeah. I will say this. that Now, if they don't do a street-level Spider-Man with the next movie, I, I will be supremely upset because i think that's what they've set the table for bring black cat in. you don't have mj anymore so black cat can be the love interest have him fight against kingpin introduce daredevil let him be a, a street level character for a little bit no more cosmic grabbing infinity gems just let him be spider-man living in a cheap old apartment you know having to sew his own costume and 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 try to make the rent and make him go work for jj or pictures of spider-man <laughs> well we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with our uh, read pile review yes it's that panel pals chad smith is saying goodbye for the rest of the program because he's not going to be on it so we'll we'll see him next week but be back with myself J.A. scott and our two sons for that panel pals review of adventures of tin tin stay tuned Ta-ta, have fun with your Tim Tim. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Greetings, henchmen and loyal subjects. I am Evan the Great. And I'm JVD. We're your host of the Fictional Battle Podcast, Crossover Collision, brought to you by the Villains Demand. If you love hearing in-depth breakdowns of your favorite characters and what they are capable of doing while fighting in random battlegrounds against other fan favorites, then this is the podcast for you. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or over on thebuildsman.com. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for Panel Pals! Yes. Uh, comic Shop, we like to do some read pile reviews for the kids. Comic books should be for children, 
Historically, uh, it has been the biggest audience for comic books. And here at The Last Comic Shop, we want to make sure that the next generation of readers are picking up those comic books so that their children can have comic books in the next, like, you know, 25 to 30 years. So today's program, we've got a wonderful one that, uh, although is not very popular in America, is hugely popular everywhere else. It's kind of like soccer or football. Yes, it's a beautiful game. This is the beautiful comic. It is, and it is gorgeous. That clean style that Herge, also known as Charles Remy, basically developed with the uh, Tin Tin comic strip, and then later on in... Oh, you'll have to help me out with this, J.A. They they, they made these things called BDs. Which uh, yes, called- uh, Bandes Désignes, which... Translates into drawn strips, so that would be uh, what you know, a newspaper strip essentially. So, and we'll get into it, I think, when we look at the book. Some of those elements made their way into the collections of these strips that then were put out as as graphic novels. That is what we're uh, covering on today's program for all the kids. We're covering one of the graphic novels. I think it's the fourth in the series, and it's called no, Cigars it's of the Pharaoh. And without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our guest co-hosts for today, both J.A. and I's sons. We've got Alex Scott, who has uh, graced us here on The Last Comic Shop before. How you doing, Alex? Wonderful. Very good. And we've also got a newcomer to The Last Comic Shop, my son, Jacob Larson. How you doing, buddy? Awesome. All right. So passing on that great tradition of not only reading comic books, but talking about comic books. Uh, That's right, because what what could be better than reading a comic books than having a fully formed opinion of them when it makes absolutely no sense? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to let the kids do a lot of the talking from here, and uh, we're going to start off. Jacob, would you like to give us the 10 cent synopsis for what happens in Cigars of the Pharaoh? What's this all about? Uh, he's, like, going around the world on a vacation at the beginning. Then, then Thompson and Thompson came because they found drugs. <laughs> they found Thompson and Thompson. They're some of your favorite characters, they're, right? They're detectives. Are they smart detectives? Kind of. They make mistakes a lot. <laughs> Falling out of cars and punching each other by accident. So, yeah, so then Thompson and Thompson come try to arrest uh, Tintin. What was Tintin trying to do before they arrested him? Like, where was he planning on going? He met Dr. Sarcophagus. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Sarcophagus. Yes. Sarcophagus. Sarcophagus. <laughs> yes, and then later in the yes. story, he is Ramses II. Oh, he, then he's Ramses II because by the he, by the he, end. Because he goes crazy. He goes crazy? How does what? this happen? Yeah, why does he go crazy? Because an Indian character shot like a thingy in their neck and made him crazy. Okay, like a dart. Yeah, dart. Okay, yeah. So yeah. it was a poisonous dart shot in their neck. A blue dart. A blue right. dart. So this book is all about the fact that Tintin is on uh, a little bit of a holiday when he gets... Uh, wrangled into an international drug smuggling ring he's got to investigate it and expose it so there it turns out that they're they're trying to you know smuggle uh drugs in 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 the in the cigars and so he finds the secret society that is 
got the like the some sort of symbol and they're 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 the ones that are smuggling in the in the drugs and the <laughs> yes they're smuggling drugs inside the cigars trying to get them into india you know and that's one of the things about the tintin books is they are fairly realistic but at the same time there's some slapstick elements some comedy elements a lot of running around but high adventure yeah it's it's sort of like a, a kids version of indiana jones i always felt essentially ah right and i'm sure that um tintin had a big effect on spielberg and lucas when they were writing i mean all obviously it's all the adventure serials and stuff yeah so this is like a direct influence this is you know has some of the elements that made uh indiana jones so exciting you know you're going all these places around the world there's always action and uh, for those kids listening there is actually a animated tintin movie that was released a couple years ago and it was actually directed by steven spielberg who also did the indiana jones movie so again you're right on target there ja and that there's there's a direct correlation between tintin and the adventures of indiana jones yeah let's go ahead and get into initial thoughts and we're gonna go ahead and start off with our veteran alex what did you think of cigars of the pharaoh was this a good tintin book to start with as the first tintin book i've been reading yes it's like indiana jones for kids uh, who was your favorite character? The dog. The dog. I think that's interesting because in the book, the dogs can speak, right? Yep. The, go- the dog can speak, but Tintin hears him just woofing. Ah. I read somewhere that dog talking, they call it breaking the fourth wall for the audience. It's the, it's the fact that he had to give you a little bit more information about what was going on and have somebody play off of Tintin in some of these scenes but but dogs really can't talk so that's what they call breaking the fourth wall he's talking to the audience not so much to tintin i mean i I won't lie without snowy like i don't know if tintin would go anywhere he would run a lot tintin seems to run a lot Snowy's the one who like bails him out snowy is uh he's sort of like r2d2 so jacob when you were reading the book you 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 liked a particular part of the book where they went to the Pharaoh's tomb, right? Tintin saw his coffin, Snowy's coffin, and Dr. Sargophagus's coffin. And then he had a hallucination, like a dream, right? Yeah. And you and you liked the parts about the dream. Where it, it, they were in their coffins, wrapped in, like, paper. <laughs> oh, like mummy wrappings? Yeah, he was having a little bit of a nightmare. Alex, what did you think of that scene? It was pretty confusing. At first, I thought it was a sandstorm, like knocking him out, but it was like gas. Then Egyptian characters grabbed him and put him in the coffin, like like his nightmare. And then he escapes from the coffin, although he's in the yes. middle of the uh, in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, he's in the middle of the ocean. He can't do anything. That's right. He seems to be thrown overboard a lot in this, not just this this book, but in a lot of the series, he ends up floating in the ocean. <laughs> well, he ends up just like kind of randomly going from one place to another. You know, for those uh, parents that might be in, enjoying Adventures of Tintin with their kids, uh, my initial thought is just simply that yeah, I think you can tell that this was originally a strip because it's episodic. 
there are parts of this where they just want to kind of tell a story of like, oh, here's Tintin in front of a firing squad. Will he escape? Here's Tintin in the middle of the mountains and somebody's shooting over at him. Or here's Tintin, you know, in some sort of tomb. So it, it kind of goes from one place to another in very quick succession. It can feel like Tintin is just randomly walking places, finding trouble, and somehow it kind of all links up to an overall plot. In real life, really wouldn't happen. Oh, everybody happens to have these cigars, I I guess. You know, put yourself in the mindset of a kid reading this in a newspaper as a strip. So every week you're getting a new location... Um, and you're meeting some new interesting characters. So it's supposed to, I think, spark your imagination. It's like 1930s Europe, not exactly, you know, the the funnest time to be alive in Europe. And you get this nice week-on-week escape that takes you to uh, exotic locations. The protagonist, Tintin, is about the age of probably the boys reading the comic strip, so very easy for them to put themselves in his shoes. Yeah, that's always an interesting thing about Tintin. How old did you think Tintin was in this? We'll start off with Jacob. In his, like, 20s to 30s. Alex, how old did you think he was? 26. Okay, so you both thought he was a little bit older. I I, kind of look at him, and I I don't know whether or not people would think he was kind of like a teenager or if he was, you know, a little bit older. But both of you think that he he definitely looked like he was in his 20s. I always pegged him as like a 19-year-old, (laughs) 18-year-old. A little bit younger. But, I mean, I guess he's he's working as as a reporter. He does know how to, like, use guns and fly planes and do a lot of stuff, which I don't know if the traditional 18-year-old would have had enough life experience. But boy, does he have, like, a a nice complement of skills, right? I I wanted to ask the the boys, did you feel like at any point, kind of like Batman, where, where he could do anything? Like Batman, he's not fast. He's like Sonic because he, like, runs very, he runs a lot. I like it. I, I I just thought he was like a Swiss Army knife of skills. You need him to have this skill now? Fine. He needs to get out of this? Fine. He, he can punch anybody out in one punch. I just always assumed that he could do all these things. I never thought about, well, where did he learn? It's sort of like, you know, it, he's like the modern pentathlon, right? You know, he knows how to ride the horse and shoot the gun and do the fencing. It's it's sort of that age, right? Europeans, they were they were grown up. He probably went to a boarding school, and, and that's where he learned to, you know, shoot a gun and and, and jump out of an airplane and, and do all this stuff. I, I just assumed that he was, you know, a well traveled, well educated man who knows all these things. And as an American, I wouldn't understand because I didn't go to that kind of education system. Probably speaks eight languages. He's from Belgium, after all. Oh boy. I will say this, that uh, both the boys not only read the the comic book this week, but we also watched a fantastic animated series that was released in the late 1980s by uh, Nelvana. They actually also did some Star Wars animated shorts, like the first appearance of Boba Fett. And uh, And Ellipse Program, which is the French animation studio. And it's a fantastic series because they even took some of the original artwork from the Tintin comic books and and did storyboards based on it. So it's very, very comic accurate. Yes, very, Uh, very faithful. And I believe if you have a 
Amazon Prime account. It's on Amazon Prime, so you can stream it there. Uh, but I've also seen it for free on YouTube. Well worth the effort. It was. It, it, I think it captured the spirit. What was your opinion of the cartoon versus right. the book? Okay, so the com the comic book had had two things. First, it had more like parts in it, which they didn't show in the uh, animated series. And secondly, the dog didn't speak. They couldn't see oh, the dog speaking. Yes, that was a big thing too. So I thought that the cartoon edited quite well the story and made it a little bit better. But I think you do lose the dog speaking and the other animals speaking, which did bring some humor. Well, Jacob, what what did you think of the cartoon versus the comic strip? Did you like one over the other or... They were different. They uh, took out a couple parts from the book. Oh, okay. I liked more in the TV show than the comics because they did thus running around. Yeah, the running around was a little bit distracting at times, although I can... I can understand what J.A. was saying. It did have a lot of little fun little jokes and things in there. But if you were just trying to pay attention to the plot, I think the cartoon is the way to go. In the comic strips, it seems like Tintin's just randomly finding these people that are part of the Cigar of the Pharaoh cult or whatever. The people trying to smuggle. But in the, in the animated series, it's much more deliberate. You know, he goes from one place to another on purpose. Like, he just doesn't happen to be going there. He just, he's like, oh, I gotta, I found this clue. I'm gonna go here next. And I found this clue, right? Yes. Like, in the area where they found, like, the Egyptian, his friend was missing. Dr. Kopsikus found a button and he just pushed it. And the, the button was the door. Okay. And the door just closed. Yeah. Yeah, he, he tended to fall asleep a lot. There was always knocking him out. And he was waking up. <laughs> knocking out overall like a lot of people take naps another interesting character that you are introduced to you brought it up alex is dr sarcophagos who um is actually a precursor to a, a character that would show up in later tintin books called professor calculus which is kind of like the eccentric bumbling yet extremely smart scientist character. What did you think of Dr. Sarcophagus? Was he was he there just for laughs, or did he, he advance the plot, do you guys think? He was necessary because he wanted to find Egyptians, all the all those stuff, but then but then he gets himself in troubles. I'm going to agree with Alex that he is necessary. He moves the plot forward because he goes down and then he becomes missing. Snowy digs up a cigar, and Tintin picks it up. Okay. And has the arrow symbol. Well, there's a there's a term for what I think he is, and that's it's called a MacGuffin. Uh, for those kids that are listening to today's program, and a MacGuffin is kind of like anything in a story that the hero's trying to get. Like in Indiana Jones, there's this thing called the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones has to get this thing. Or uh, in Lord of the Rings, uh, the, the, the ring, that's the MacGuffin. And so it's like just an object that really doesn't serve any purpose other than driving the characters towards an end goal. An Excalibur at the end of their quest. So I felt like Dr. Sargophagus wasn't exactly a character as much as he set up the plot. He disappears sometimes, so that keeps the plot going forward. And anytime he's on there, though, he's just kind of silly. It, it took me out of the story a little bit. 
I won't lie. I wasn't a huge fan of some of the humorous elements of Tintin. I was there for the adventure. Did you guys like the comedy or did you like more of the adventure parts? Like 40% of the the humor and 50% of the, the ghost adventure. Okay, so what's the other 10%? The other 10%? Because <laughs> you said 40% of the the humor and 50% of the adventure, so you still have 10% left. 10% of the snowy? 10% of the dog. That's right. Yeah. All right. Jacob, did you like the humor or did you like the adventure more? I like the adventure more. I am going to get that 60 and same with Alex. I'm going to get that 40. Okay. So you both looked at this as more of an adventure book, which is interesting. But let's go ahead and get to some ratings for Cigars of the Pharaoh. And, of course, on every single read pile we have in the last comic shop, we have J.A. give a rating scale. So what is our rating scale for Cigars of the Pharaoh, J.A.? Well, we will do one out of four floating coffins. Again, that was one of those parts where I was just like, that's not believable that he would have survived this. Like, he was put in a coffin, set adrift, and just happened to be picked up by another boat. Like, he must have been in a main shipping lane. There's a lot of coincidence involved in this. So we're going to go ahead and start off with the kids, and we'll start off with our veteran, Alex. How many floating coffins do you give Cigars of the Pharaoh? Three. Why, why a three, Alex? Three things. Adventure, the dog, and the humor. That does add up to three. So, Jacob, uh, how many floating coffins are you giving this? I say it's two and a half. Two and a half? Which seems like you didn't like it as much as Alex. Why the two and a half versus the three? There's a lot of running around, and also, I've read some other Tintin. So, the the running around was a distraction to you compared to some other Tintin books? Yeah. Which other ones have you read? Crab with the Golden Claws lotus okay uh, ja how many floating coffins are you giving this i think I, i'll give it three you know it, it takes you to far away places and he goes halfway around the world he goes from egypt to india and and points between so that's always exciting the the, the adventure and the excitement of it and and the whole mystery plot trying to figure out what's going on I, I guess I would take it down from four because there are some moments that are so outlandish that you kind of roll your eyes. Like when the tiger jumps in the basket and he puts the straight jacket on a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were a couple moments like that where it, it was you could tell it was a comic strip. You're right. And like while I like the talking dog, I didn't really like the talking elephant. So I don't know. Maybe that just means I, 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 I like my elephants to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I'm going to give this two and a half. Like, I agree with Jacob, but there were better Tin Tin collections out there, especially if you're new to the Tin Tin series. The one that I would probably start folks off with is called uh, Secrets of the Unicorn, which is a really great story with Captain Haddock, who is kind of like a better sidekick than even Snowy. Horrific hurricanes! And- Clustering this, you know, he's kind of like Popeye, like he's he's a, he's an old sea dog, and so he always has interesting stuff to say. And um, it's all about finding secret pirate treasure. And it, for those folks that might watch the animated movie Steven Spielberg made, 
that's based a lot on the plots of both uh, Secrets of the Unicorn and Red Rackham's Treasure. So if if you liked this book that we covered on today's program, I would highly recommend reading those. But I just, there were too many scenes in this that just, they took me out of the story because, to your point, J.A., they, they were just too ridiculous. I am here for Indiana Jones, and anything that wasn't that kind of just took me out of things. So many coincidences, like, oh, the guy steps on a rock, and, and then the rock falls away, so he falls away. Or somebody's chasing somebody else, and they're about to kill them, but uh, they get hung up by a vine, and then they run around each other a bit. It was, it's just like so many contrived plot devices like that. Well, let's go ahead real quickly and get into recommendations. On The Last Comic Shop, like all other shows, we like to provide you other comic books that you can pick up at your local comic book store or a book fair or a bookstore like The Adventures of Tintin. And we've got some recommendations from some of the kids. We're going to go ahead and start off with Jacob. What are you recommending on The Last Comic Shop this week? I'm recommending Donner Dinner Party. Oh. It's a book from Nathan Hale. That's a part of a series, right? The, the yes, it's Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like Tintin, there's a variety of books like that. You've read other ones in addition to Donner Dinner Party, right? Yeah. I've read Big Bad Ironclad, and I've read a little bit of The Underground Abductor. Okay. So what's Donner Dinner Party about? It's where a group of people move from Springfield, Illinois, the capital, to Sutter's Fort in California. Oh, and what happens to them on the way? They start starving. <laughs> they do start starving. It's a, it's actually a pretty famous story from American history. And uh, that's what Nathan Hale's trying to do with his hazardous tales, is tell you adventure stories from times in American history. But why did why what did you like about this? Do you I like I like the art of the characters. Was another Nathan Hale book you read other than his hazardous tales? One Trick Pony. Oh, and that's completely different. But it has aliens in it, it right? It has aliens and a robot horse. Wow. All right, so uh, we've got uh, some great books by Nathan Hale that you should check out. Uh, Alex, what is your recommendation on today's program? All right, for the recommendations I have, it's still books, which I find really interesting. And they're in, like, black and white, which is also something I like. So the first one you have is Diary of Wimpy Kid. Oh, yes. And then we also have this one, Diary of an Awesome Friendly Kid, which is, like, a Diary of Wimpy Kid, but it's a different character. And who are they by? Jeff Kinney. The same person who made the other book as well. Right. Yeah, they're like Nathan Hale. He's a very popular uh, comic book uh, writer for kids. Uh, I've heard his name, too. Jacob, you have some Diary of the Wimpy Kid books. Plus, you have those other ones, right? Roderick Rules, Wrecking Ball, and Double Down. Okay. And I read The Ugly Truth, but I don't have it because it was to my school. (laughs) Close to your school. Okay. Well, Alex, why did you? Why do you like his writing? Like, what do you about like about his writing and his art styles? Well, well, black and white and stickman figures are actually the things I like. There was a guy that came out with uh, a book called Understanding Comic Books, and he talks about how the fact that like the closer you get to stick figures, the more universally accepted they are. Because again, like everybody can draw a stick figure, everybody can relate to a stick figure. 
And so the, the simpler the drawings are, the more widely accepted sometimes the story can be. So that's neat that you said you liked it because of the stick figures. That gives credence to somebody named Scott McLeod that we've talked about on this program quite often. Jay, do you have a recommendation for us this week? I do, I do. As we said, the Tintin books were sort of like younger Indiana Jones. So I'm going to recommend uh, the original Dark Horse run of Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which was the comic uh, adaptation of a CD-ROM game. Oh, wow. (laughs) See, all the kids on that don't even know what those are. I know. We are going pure 1990s on this. So it's the Dark Horse put out a four-issue comic book adaptation of a point-and-click adventure game was available on CD-ROM for Amiga, DOS, and Macintosh. Ah, I do remember that. Because we didn't have a lot of other Indiana Jones at the time. No, and if you remember, I bought it just for the covers alone. Each cover looked like a movie poster. They they had that painterly quality. They had done painted covers. And you had Nazis as the bad guys. And there's a plot where they're trying to, you know, find the lost city of Atlantis. I would say that uh, if you like Tintin and you like that sort of adventure stuff and you like the Indiana Jones books, this would be perfect right up your alley. Okay. Well, for my recommendation, real quick, I'm going to go ahead and bring up some of the Carl Barks Duck Universe books. If you've never read any of the original Carl Barks Donald Duck series, Fantagraphics has put out a lot of them in trade paperback and in hardcover over the years. And uh, for those folks out there listening that enjoy DuckTales very popular cartoon series out there about the world traveling adventures of Scrooge McDuck uh, with uh, his nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie and and Donald Duck and stuff and as they run around the world looking for treasures and missions and things. It's kind of like the American version of Tintin. There's an adventure element, that swashbuckling element, that world traveling element, plus a lot of the humor. And it's sometimes easier to digest the humor when it's a bunch of anthropomorphic ducks as opposed to a person. And you're like, no, this would never happen. But when, you know, when it's a duck, you just accept it. Exactly. It's more cartoony. So, like, yes, you could put a a tiger in a straight jacket. And one in particular that I can recommend is Donald Duck Lost in the Andes. I I, I just like these. So for those folks that like uh, Tintin. Pick up those Donald Duck. They're also really great. And you know what's also really great is The Last Comic Shop. We hope that you enjoyed not only our segment of Panel Pals on today's program, but also our review of all those Marvel movies that we didn't do before. Uh, And so if you like our show, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe over on www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Yeah, that uh, website has all of those links, Dad. Yeah, it does. What else does it have a link to? YouTube. Oh, YouTube, where there's videos of unboxings and all kinds of comic books and action figures. Also find us on social media at Last Comic Shop on Twitter and Instagram. And when you're on the website, you can find a link to our merch store where you can get uh, T-shirts and tote bags, coffee mugs, and uh, this week only, a special survival kit for when you're fighting a tiger. (laughs) 
I don't know how we put our logo on that. In any case, make sure that you also check out a local comic book shop near you where you can find all kinds of stuff, such as the adventures of Tintin, as well as old Indiana Jones comic books. Maybe you can find some of the Nathan Hale books, like uh, Donner Dinner Party. Maybe you can find Diary of Wimpy Kid. Uh, you need to find a local comic book shop in your area. Check out the comic book shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for tuning, tuning in, in on the last, the last comic, comic shop, shop and Pow Pow. 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 <laughs> I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by my co-host, Jay Scott. Chad Smith, who's somewhere, probably laughing and having a good time listening to the kids, as well as Alex Scott and Jacob Larson. Thanks so much, kids. Keep reading comic books. That's what we want on this show. Till next week, stay safe, stay young, and remember, if you run into an international cult that's trying to smuggle drugs in cigars, Make sure that you have a talking dog, because it sure does come in handy. The Last Comic Shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.